You're listening to a podcast by Redeemer Bible Church. Come visit us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or visit our website at RedeemerFortBend.org for more information. Thanks and enjoy. level good? Didn't have a chance to sound check. A lot of things going on this morning. All right, well, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, I got a call when I was doing the chains uh, on a Friday night football game, and I told Daniel I had 10 seconds to talk, and he says, this is what you got to do, and I thought he was joking, but he wasn't, so here we are. <laughs> um, and it's great to have my parents here. Uh, they're in town. Um, and uh, my in-laws as well, Billy and Carolyn, in for Coleman's baptism, and it's uh, kind of neat that they can see me preach. So here we go. Have you ever had a parent or an employer or other authority follow through on their word? Now that we're in mid-October and the midterm elections are right around the corner, notice I didn't say anything about politicians actually following through on their word. Now, what about this person? If they, they followed through, and that affected you either negatively or positively, depending on your uh, initial action. This happened to me. I think I was about in mi- uh, elementary school. My parents were uh, going out on a date, and they said, no ball in the house. Um, as soon as the door went, we, and we had even had a babysitter, and he knew the rules too, but it wasn't long before we started throwing, it was probably a Nerf football in the house, and, Things got out of hand, and one of her favorite little ducks got hit, and a chip, it was a porcelain one, and a chip of the tail flew into the fish tank. And, um, and I knew the consequences that if that, I think it was actually that specific duck got broken, and um, it, was, it was very sentimental to her, and she says, you're not gonna go to your best friend's house to watch the Super Bowl party, or to the Super Bowl. And I was thinking, you know, there's, I can get out of this, and I don't know how I'm gonna get out of it, I'm telling the truth, but try to finagle my way into watching the Super Bowl. Um, And that didn't happen. Um, I remember watching the Super Bowl with my parents and my brother, and uh, we had a good time, but I didn't get to go to my best friend's house to watch the Super Bowl. So that was my parents following through on their word, saying, essentially, if you behave, you get to go, and if you don't behave, you don't get to go. So today we'll be looking at how the Lord um, is good on his word, which depending on how... um, his people, I'm sorry, depending on how his people chose or acted, affected him either positively or negatively. So let's read Joshua 23, uh, verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well and advanced in years, summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all those nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. 
Therefore, be very strong and keep to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to fight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of those nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of the earth. And you know, that, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed all of the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off of this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Father, hide the speaker, let your word be proclaimed. Um, let everyone in attendance know your faithfulness, dear Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen. So, we just read Joshua 23, but first I want to give a little background on the book, what happened before this. The book of Joshua recounts uh, Israel's conquest of the land of Canaan under Joshua's command. And Joshua was the assistant to Moses. This book opens with Joshua being commissioned by the Lord as the leader of the Israelites. It tells of his victories over the Canaanite kings and how he allotted the land of Canaan among the tribes of Israel. It also describes the failings of individuals and leaders of the Hebrews and how that affected their relationship with the Lord and also the earthly consequences it brings. Many heathen cities were driven out. One group remained contractually because of the sins of the Israelites. And also there were some of the enemies um, uh, left um, that were left to be conquered. Now Joshua gives his farewell speeches, one in chapter 23 and another one in chapter 24. These were given in a pastoral style, like Moses did, also given at the end of his life. Moses' address is recorded in Deuteronomy. The style in which it was delivered and at the end of his life places Joshua nearly on par with Moses and reinforces that Joshua was a worthy successor of Moses and to be followed. This speech in chapter 23 was likely delivered at Shiloh, uh, Israel's religious center, and given just to the leaders of Israel who teach and exercise authority over all the tribes and their subgroups. Joshua's speech in chapter 24, the entire nation is um, addressed directly. Now, it didn't make it in the bulletin, but there's three points. Verses 1 through 5 is the first point. God was faithful in the past. 
verses 6 through 13 should be the prioritization of God. And verses 14 through 16, God will be faithful in the future. So the first section, God was faithful in the past. Verses 1 and 2. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. Now we begin chapter 23, which scholars believe is about 25 years after uh, the main events of the book took place. So we can see that there hasn't been many battles re recently. Joshua's getting old, and now it's time for him to look back on God's faithfulness and address the leaders, to look ahead and exhort and warn the nation about the future. Verse 3, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. Here, Joshua is reminding the leaders that they were eyewitnesses, or at least secondhand um, uh, witnesses, of everything God has done for them, starting with the plagues in Egypt, parting of the Red Sea, provi providing provision in the desert, and victory over the inhabitants of the Promised Land. He reminds them that it was the Lord who fought for you, and it wasn't on your own power. In verse 3, it says, For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. This is the exact word-for-word -word phrasing in verse 10. And the repetition um, emphasizes the point. This is a key theme in Joshua's addresses. Israel did not win the battles through its own skill. God won Israel's battles. And the Lord would go on doing so only if Israel remained faithful. In, in verse 4, we can see that God has given the Israelites an inheritance, the remaining land that was promised, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. In verse 4, it says, those nations that remain. This phrase is also shown in verses 7 and 12 later on. Joshua looks forward to the work that is to remain after his death, the defeat and expulsion of the remaining nations. Verse 5, the Lord, your God, will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Remember the spies? God had promised the land to them, but they didn't take it. They were afraid. Although it was theirs, they had a responsibility to respond. Their lack of response denied their entry and caused a lot of pain and suffering for 40 years. Verse 5 takes the same tone. Uh, God does something, the people have to respond, and then reminding them of God's promise. This is an interesting um, wordplay that I think is important here. The verbs, he will push them, and you will take possession, are from the same root in Hebrew, meaning to possess or dispossess. This suggests a complementary response by the people to the faithful act of God's deliverance. The Lord is setting them up, but the Hebrews have to act on it. So it's, he will push them, and you will take possession. It's the same verb, meaning kind of almost two different things, so it ties them together, saying, hey, um, this is what it is, but you have to respond. Now, in our application, we can see how God has been faithful to Israel. The plagues in Egypt were to get Pharaoh's attention, and it did. The parting of the Red Sea was uh, a means of escape and to crush the pursuing enemy. 
The provision in the desert was where the Lord provided food and water in an inhospitable environment. They couldn't grow and they couldn't hunt. So that was the only way that they could eat. God provided for them. They also saw firsthand the victory of the inhabitants over the pro in the Promised Land, where essentially a nomadic people conquered established and fortified cities. God has led them the whole way. All right, let's bring this to the 21st century. This was, what, you know, almost 3,500 years ago. You know, we've got cars now. You know, things are different than they were 3,500 years ago. How has God been faithful to us? Well, from a global perspective, we can see that God has provided all of mankind a way of receiving the forgiveness of our sins and allowing co communion with the most holy God. Corporately, we can see God has been faithful. It's been over six years since the infancy of what is now Redeemer Bible Church. We've gone through a lot and we're still here. I know God has been teaching each of us different things over this time, and he's not done with us yet. Individually, think of times where God has been faithful to you as a believer. Now, I want to pause for about 30 seconds, and I just want you to each reflect on your own lives of how God has been faithful to you. Let's do that for just a moment. Let's um, move on to the second section, the prioritization of God. This is verses 6 through 13. Now here we'll look at some of the warnings that were given. Before we saw that God was faithful in uh, as long as uh, Israel was faithful to, to him. Now we'll look at some of the warnings if um, they're not faithful. Verse 6. Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of Law of Moses turning aside from it neither to the left nor to the right. Now, therefore, so this connects uh, these two passages. Before we were looking, learning and, and, and we saw how God is faithful and, and given him um, the land. Now, he's saying in order to do that, or in order for that to happen, you need to keep the law that was written in the book of Moses and don't turn aside from it. That's the connection there, because that, therefore, do this. And verse 5 are the benefits, and um, verse 6 is the requirement, turning aside from it neither to the left nor to the right. Now, this should sound familiar. This is the same phrase that God spoke to Joshua at the beginning of his leadership in Joshua 1, 7, and 8. Now, Joshua is passing on the same command to the leaders of Israel. Verse 7 that you may not mix with those nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as, just as you have done to this day. This is no new strategy. This is a fundamental command against idolatry. Um, and this becomes the chief test of obedience. Idolatry is expressly forbidden in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Now, uh, notice here the cling in verse 8. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. That cling will come up in a little bit. 
Now, unfortunately, the command against not mixing or marrying has been used for racial and segregation purposes, notably in the United States. Now, even my college roommate used this and similar scripture to justify not dating a person of a different race. Now, and this is why we need to be familiar with scripture and be very careful to interpret it in light of other scripture. Even a cursory reading of this verse will show the context is to avoid those that will lead you astray into idolatry, regardless of their race. Verse 9, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. A reminder here is inserted between the command to stay away from idolatry in verses 7 and 12. This is a reminder that it's not the power of the Israelites that gave them their victories. It's, it, it's from God. It's not from their own strength. On to verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling, this is the cling again, cling to the remnant of those nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you. Now, this is the warning. The verses earlier describe the blessings of faithfulness. Now, here we have the description of the curses of disobedience. Just like with my parents, if I didn't obey, I knew the, what the result would be. Here, Joshua is telling the leaders, this is the result if you uh, are disobedient to God. God will remain faithful, but you choose which faithfulness path happens. Now, in verse 8, there's a conditional clause, but you shall cling to the Lord just as your, to your God, just as you have done to this day, which envisioned that Israel would hold fast. But verse 12 describes those that could turn away. The cling in both of these verses is the same root word. So it's almost like, you know, in, in, the, in the New Testament, when it says, you know, you can't serve both God and money, this is kind of the same thing. You cling to one or you cling to other, you can't cling to both. These similarities between the two clauses suggest an intentional contrast between those who remain faithful and the reward in verses 8 through 11, and those who prove, prove faithless, and, I'm sorry, prove faithless, and the result in verses 12 through 16. The Israelites would demonstrate their lack of faithfulness by intermarrying with the remaining inhabitants of the land. This would be a direct violation of Deuteronomy 7, 3, and the results that would follow later on. Verse 13, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. In verse 13, we see know for certain. This is an emphatic verb. This is not a wishy-washy statement, but puts Israel on notice that the following is not up for negotiation. The sin of faithlessness and intermarriage with unbelievers void God's promise of verse 5. He will not drive the nations out of Israel's way. The descriptions of snares and whips portray the nations as conquerors and enslavers of Israel, and finally as destroyers of the people. Mixing with the peoples and adopting their worship was the most severe problem throughout Israel's history in the land, affecting it in almost every area. It quickly became a dominant problem within the period of the judges, which is detailed in the following book. Now, for our application, we see that the Hebrews we can see if they prioritize God, he would fight for them. 
if they turned to idols, well, God would give them over to their enemies. Now, again, bringing this to 21st century, how does this apply to us? Now, be sure that we do not interpret that God giving over the Israelites to their enemies should be equated with modern-day believers losing their salvation. That can't happen. Those that are truly saved and not self-deceived will live with Jesus eternally, as Philippians 1, 6 states. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I also want to emphasize that we can't earn our salvation by living good uh, lives or doing good works, but only by repenting of our sins and believing on Jesus Christ for the work that he has already done. However, we are like the Israelites. We, like the Israelites, receive blessings from God. And again, I mean, this is one set of clarifications after another. This is not, um, these blessings are not uh, material blessings or, um, you know, the lack of sickness like the, uh, the TV preachers uh, tell of. The blessings in the New Testament are not of bank accounts, cars, boats, planes, or a life free of uh, sickness and pain. The New Testament describes the blessings from God not as material blessings, but spiritual blessings. Now let's take a look at the warnings and commands that Joshua gives the leaders and apply them to us today. First verse 11 commands us to love God. This is obvious. Jesus commanded us, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In verse 12, it commands the Israelites not to intermarry. For the Israelite, the blessing was that God would fight for them and drive the remaining inhabitants out of the land. However, if they were to intermarry, they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord has given you, a definite loss of blessing. Today, we're also commanded not to intermarry with unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The reason for the Israelites is the same for us today. It's all too easy to be drawn away from God and turn to idols. Yes, even your spouse can be an idol, even if they're a believer. We all know of believers who are married to unbelievers. And even in the best case, where the believing spouse is not drawn away from God, there's incredible heartache that is felt by, by the believer in their relationship. I've known many people who are in this situation. Some of them entered into marriage, were both unbelievers, and more, but more often than not, the marriage occurred when there was one believer and one non-believer. I still remember my elementary Sunday school teacher, Miss Vicki, whose husband was not a believer, and just the sorrow that it caused her. And also, there's a real risk that the believing spouse could be drawn away from the Lord. All right, all young people here, look up at me. I need eyes. This is for you, all right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm assuming that nearly all of the married couples here in our congregation met on a date. So prior to marriage, you had to date. So young ones, what's the most effective way to prevent yourself from marrying an unbeliever? Don't date unbelievers. Don't start on that path. 2 Corinthians 6.14, the second half says, For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Young ones, how much do you really have in common with a potential date that doesn't even know the Lord? Another command was not to turn away from God and worship idols. Again, for the Israelites, the blessing was that God would fight for them and drive out the remaining inhabitants of the land. However, if they turn to idols, their enemies shall be a snare and a trap for you, 
a whip for your sides and thorns for your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. A definite loss and blessing. While it's rare for those of us to bow down to a carved statue and worship it, there are many other idols that, God, that will pull us away from God. The love of money, pornography, power, our job, our spouse, our kids, really anything that puts a higher priority than God. So how are we to worship today? Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Our bodies are to be a living sacrifice in worship to God. Now, what are the blessings for marrying a believer and worshiping only the Lord and not having idols? Well, one, we have rewards in eternity. We have assurance from God. We have better relationships with other believers. We have peace with God. We don't have the Holy Spirit convicting us. And we have fellowship with God, the creator of the universe. And what are the removal of blessings? Well, we'll be out of God's will. Um, we'll have present unpleasantness and lack of peace. Um, if we're really not saved, we won't have a heavenly reward. We have sin, which, um, sin which leads to a severed relationship with God. And we also have the earthly consequences of sin. You know, sometimes there's just natural consequences of doing things against God's will. These blessings or removal of blessings don't affect our salvation if we're truly saved, but they do affect our relationship with God and with others. All right, section three. God will be faithful in the future, verses 14 through 16. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed all of the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Now here we have a reminder from Joshua. Remember all the good that God has done for you. This comes right before verse 15, which reminds us that God is faithful. He is faithful to fulfill his promises, which may benefit or be deleterious to the Israelites. A lot of times we see the preachers on TV talk about the faithfulness of God. They only mean it in one sense. They're only looking for the stuff they can get from God. Joshua doesn't state this is to praise God for his faithfulness, but to warn the hearers that he will apply the same faithfulness to his judgments of a sinful nation. Verse 15. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring them upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, um, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. These last two verses focus on the consequences of breaking the covenant with God. If Israel sins, God will punish the nation. Joshua wants the people to know that God will continue to treat Israel with the same justice, despite Joshua's imminent departure. Joshua may die, 
but God will not change. Joshua's warning here is not to condemn the people, but to warn them. Again in verse 16, we see the central message. Do not worship other gods, and the consequence that they will be, and the consequences if they do, that they'll be kicked out of the land. And guess what? They took other idols and were exiled from the land. Assyria took the northern kingdom into exile not long after the southern kingdom was taken uh, exiled by Babylon. God means what he says. God is faithful. We should know that the Lord is serious about his word. We have the luxury of seeing history play out. We have the Bible. We have, we have uh, historical records. We, we know what God said. We can see what happened all throughout history. So, and this confirms God's promises to his people when they have idols. Brothers and sisters, God is serious about his word and idols that take worship from him. Therefore, we should act accordingly. Now, based on this uh, message, we know that the Lord should be taken at his word. And God has also promised to those that acknowledge their sin and a need for a savior, repent of their sins and follow Christ, that we can be forgiven of our sins and live with him forever. But God is also faithful that those that do not turn to him are destined for separation from him and eternal punishment. If you've not turned to Christ and have questions, please see one of our elders, Ben or Daniel, and we'd love to talk to you. Remember, the Lord is faithful. Our response or non-response will decide where we spend eternity.